Hello, hello. Hey, everybody. Our guest today is an entrepreneur and speaker with a passion for spreading awareness for the LGBTQ plus community and the issues the community faces. He's also the creator of a signature mentorship and coaching program designed for that same LGBTQ plus community called Over the Top Living. Prior to accomplishing so much not only for himself, but others as well, Norman left his home in Chicago and relocated to Las Vegas. It was during this time in 2007 that he began his journey to finding himself. By 2008, this journey led him to the realization that he was gay. Then identifying as a gay black man, he would spend the next several years in and out of varying versions of himself. This process has spanned for over 15 years, and we are here to talk quite a bit about that. Give it up for my friend, Norman J. Liverpool IV. My name is Brian Shinborn. I'm an explorer of people, places, and culture. In my travels spanning over 20 countries across four continents, I've had the pleasure of engaging in authentic conversations with amazingly interesting people. These are their stories, on location and unfiltered. Presented by 8B Media, this is Half the City. So what's up, man? How you doing, Norman? I'm good. It's another day in paradise, that's for sure. Another day in paradise. You are absolutely right, man. Now, I got to tell you, man, I've, so I've known you for quite some time. What is it, like 10? Yeah, we met, we met back in 08. Yeah, 2008. That's right. Um, you know, when I first saw you um, talking about what you're up to now, I, uh, I, got, well, I was really interested, of course, but I was also really, really impressed with how far you've come in the last you know, 12, 12 plus years. You know, it's really inspiring to see to see people growing and changing like that. You know, because like like the way I see things is everyone's kind of a, we're a collection of our moments, right? We're a collection right. of our moments and, and how we respond to it. And so everyone's unique. You know, it's eight billion people, which is why I named my company Eight B Media, and everyone's got a story and everyone's perspectives and and frameworks and everything like that are all uh, unique to their experiences. Um, so I'm interested. Um, maybe you can kind of tell me how. How you um, went from Norman Liverpool coworker to kind of find, to discovering that you're uh, a black gay man and then kind of coming into your own a bit? Well, um, it started back actually in 2007 uh, when I moved to Las Vegas from Chicago. And a huge reason that I decided to move is because my family back home were extremely um, religious um, and I was still trying to figure out myself. I, I was trying to come into adulthood um, and I just didn't feel like I could do that with all of these influences around me. Um, so I got a one-way ticket and came to Las Vegas um, in December of 2007. And um, I got the job at Metro mm -hmm. right away. Um, but then, again, I was still like a baby, you know, mm -hmm. 21 years old. Um, I didn't know up from down. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what expressing myself and living as a gay man, what that actually meant. Because for so long, I was told that it was wrong and going to hell, all of that. So when you and I met, I was going from one extreme to the next because I, I did not know like where to even begin. So I remember back then, like I would have like long hair and carry big purses and have, yeah. you know, like all of that. And, and then because that's what, what that when you look at media, you know, that's what I saw. Mm -hmm. And I did not know that 
that I didn't have to be anything but myself. And so I spent quite some time kind of acting, if you will, um, trying to figure out what being gay means um, and what um, what it meant for me. And mm-hmm. so uh, <laughs> it was years of of turmoil and going up and down and in and out of relationships and and it was just like a lot of craziness um and then i got into property management back in 2012 and that really shifted things for me because prior to that you know i was working you know um as you know at metro pcs and then i was also a part-time bartender and you know i did drag shows and i was doing all these things and then when property management came on the table, I didn't have time for all of that because now I'm working nine to five. I have this like really important responsibilities and duties. And so that was kind of like the catalyst that kind of started a lot of this just because it changed the way that I had to interact professionally. Um, and then from there, I just really started doing the work. Um, I started writing, journaling, um, and really doing the work to, you know, get in touch with myself and figure out what the heck that even meant. Um, but to be completely honest, it wasn't really until last year where things began to shift focus um, for me and my my vision and my purpose became a little bit more clear. Yeah, that's interesting. I um, um kind of similarly... Um, you know, like I've lived with, uh, I've lived with PTSD for like almost 20 years at this point. Right. Um, and you know, because of that, I've spent a lot of time searching for myself, my purpose and all of that as well. Right. And yeah, you know, it's that, that took me to Vegas. It took me to Boston and New York and, you know, China for a few years and all over the place and just trying to find that fit. Right. Like where, where my sweet spot is. right? Right. For sure. And, uh, it wasn't until like I'd moved up the corporate ladder and all this and that. And, you know, uh, at a fairly young age, my early thirties, I was near the top of a major corporation, um, Jose Cuervo living a job of, you know, a lot of people's dreams, that sort of thing. And I was just miserable, you know? And so it was finally at that point where I'd kind of like, I'd given up and I'm like, you know what, this isn't sustainable for the next 30 years of my life. Right. You know, uh, I got to figure out what the hell I'm going to do with my life. Who am I, you know? And so I, I started doing the work as well. You know, I kind of locked myself in my bedroom after work and <laughs> for like two months and like, you know, I was journaling, doing skill and ability assessments and, you know, things like that. And that kind of set me off on this path of, you know, figuring out there's something related to communications, um, international stuff, that kind of thing. But even then, it took me a couple of years until I kind of finally realized that it's it's the storytelling stuff, right? That's that's the stuff that gets me. You know, it's it's telling my story, it's helping other people tell theirs, that kind of stuff. But it, but it took a long time to get there. Yeah. Um, just you know, when you when you talk about doing the work, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. Um, what kind of stuff did you do? Like, what was your? Did you have a process that you laid out, or was there you know certain books that you read, or? I don't necessarily know that there was a process. I just knew that I was destined for greater. And so then the work became connecting A to Z. Mm. Oh, I'm here, but I know I need to go there. Mm -hmm. 
So part of that was me surrounding myself with like-minded people, but also surrounding myself with people who had already attained certain things that I wanted for myself and mm-hmm. professionally, personally. So, I mean, I've, I've read books, um, you know, um, but a lot of the work had to do with me letting go of um, toxic um, family dynamics, um, toxic friendships, um, letting go of the, the self-shame um, that I had dealt with being a Black gay man and dealing with that kind of thing. And so um, it, it, it was mo- mostly internal, the work that I had to do. Mm. It, it was it was working on myself so that I could allow myself and give myself the permission to be the person that I knew that I'm destined to be. Yeah, no, I hear that, and you know, like for for me, um, uh, you know, so I went through some. I had a little bit of a process, and I kind of figured out, you know, it was a lot of internal processing too. But it wasn't until like you know, even when I when I made that decision to go to China, I gave up everything. Um, you know, I said, Hey, I've got to do something international, something communications, but I don't know what it is. I'm not leaving China until I figure it out. Um, right. it was in China that, that, that's when I, that's when I got to that point where I was like, okay, uh, give up all of these, uh, constructs that I, that I have learned throughout my life, you know, give up caring about what people think about me, that sort of thing. And, and allowing myself just to be and to happen. Right. Right. And, for sure. and it was, it was that, you know, a conscious decision when everything started getting easier and everything and everything started happening. And it was all the stuff that I've kind of always wanted to happen. I just didn't really know that I uh, was allowed to allowed to make oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. You definitely, you, I mean, you definitely have to give yourself permission and, mm-hmm. Thing that I don't think a lot of people understand, you have got to give yourself permission to say no to everything that is not leading you to your best self and your best life. Mm-hmm. And I, that was really difficult for me because I'm a yes person. You know, I yeah. want to help everyone. I want to be everything for everyone. Mm-hmm. But as my mom always says, you know, when the airplane you know, when you're doing that, uh, the kind of spiel, when you get into an airplane, they say, if the mask comes down, put yours on first. Mm-hmm. And so as the 2019 was the year of me putting my mask on first and mm-hmm. to self-care, um, self-love, and even being a little bit selfish. And I know we, we try to steer away from that, that term mm-hmm. selfish, but I really had to be. I had to be selfish with my time. I had to be selfish with the energy that I was allowing myself, allowing, you know, myself to put into other things. Um, and so, yeah, it really was the year of me putting my own mask on and just kind of finding my own footing and setting some new boundaries, you know, for others as well as myself. Yep. Yeah. I hear that. I mean, you know, like for me again, so the last probably two, three years has been really where I've been like, okay, all the way, but it, you know, it wasn't until I found that, found that sweet spot, figured out who I was. And then once I got it, I'm like, there's no way am I letting this go. You know, right. burying, my, burying my head in my work, you know, the only, the only thing that I can do is think about this and like push this forward, you know, that whole thing. Um, I'm curious, you know, just kind of back it up a little bit. You, you mentioned, you mentioned talking about living as a black gay man, right? So like, 
you know, uh, um, I'm I'm neither black nor gay. Um, okay. So so I so I don't understand necessarily the you know the the microcultures of those or how they how they are um, you know how you know how that intersection um, that intersectional microculture might be, but I know that like you know over the year you know the last fifteen twenty years there's been so much progress made as far as you know rights within the LGBTQ community um, as well as uh, you know general acceptance. And and everything else that's uh, that's happened over the years, you know, I feel like there's like our society in general um, is a lot more open and welcoming to people of pretty much, you know, any intersection. I know there's a lot of work to be done. Oh, yeah, for but, sure. But, but there's a lot of ground that's been made. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, what the difference between being a gay man is maybe versus being a black gay man or even a gay man that grew up in those religious constructs. So I'll tell you, I have a quote that I love, and it's from a movie called Prey that's on Amazon Prime. And it says, being a black man in America is a reality that will never be justified. So you can imagine being a a gay black man. And so the way that I liken it is being black, and this is just being, you know, completely transparent, you're born with a strike against you already. Okay. Um, And, and it's the sad reality that we've definitely made some strides and leaps and bounds, um, you know, for more of a a inclusive, inclusive type of a thing. But I mean, it, it, you're born with that, you know what I mean? And I've seen it, you know, my dad is a black man. My uncles are black men and I've seen the, the struggle and it's, and it's almost something that, is internalized and passed down generationally. It's, 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 it's really bizarre. So when you're dealing with the construct of what a black man is, you know, there's stereotypes, there's the reality, there's all these different things that, that, that people think about being a black man. But one of those is not being gay. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the, the difference for me, and you know, this is my, my experience is that it's literally like, I'm wearing a scarlet letter before I even open my mouth. And I'm the type of person that people know I can tell that I'm gay right away. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not, um, I've never been one of those people, like I've been over the top my entire life. Mm-hmm. And so to walk into a space and immediately trigger whatever people's responses are to black people or to gay people or to gay black people, whatever it's, it's, it almost is like you have to be on the defense. And, you know, I, I felt like I was having to choose what events I was going to go to. I learned how to ignore certain things. So that way it didn't affect me, you know? Um, but to be completely honest, a lot of the stuff that I had to work through came from my family and, hmm. It wasn't so much from the outside world, you know, which I mean, I got that. But I think what it was is the rejection from my family and the the hesitation for them to really know Norman. And so that really shaped my 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 perspective because I looked up to, you know, of various family members um, who were men and to, to have them say some of the things that they said and did some of the things that they did, it, it really, it showed me, okay, yeah, you're, you're black and gay. 
because it's like now these like these black people are going to point out that you're gay and so it's literally just having just like almost like like a clown like it's like whenever you go somewhere it's like oh my god who's gonna say something about this or who's gonna say something about that um and what's ironic is the the whole kind of discrimination about me being gay happened well before I can consciously remember being discriminated against for being black. Mm. And uh, the, the, the discrimination, and again, part of it is my, like maybe my obliviousness um, to discrimination as it was happening, but I don't really recall a whole, whole lot of discrimination for me being black when i was younger that happened quite honestly within like the last five years huh, really? uh, where i have kind of experienced some some of those uh types of things but the 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 gay thing that 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 started long long time ago and what's funny about it is it started before i even knew that i was gay so hmm. it was like you know classmates were calling you gay or fag or whatever you know and so it kind of pushed me into trying to figure out what and who I was. And it didn't happen organically because these people were telling me, this is what you are. Mm. And so I, it, it confused the hell out of me. It, um, and, and it's funny to this day, I still uh, am in contact with one of my classmates who was the first person to call me gay. And I told him back in 2010, I said, you really messed it up for me um, because y'all didn't know what gay was, but you were putting this off on me. Now, I don't know. Maybe it's because I was different. Maybe it was because I was black. Maybe it was because I was creative and had like, you know, I was good in the arts and stuff. But it really started for me, the discrimination for me just being me. I can recall that going back all the way to fourth grade. Wow. Okay. And and because you because you said you're like a creative, artistic type of person, or well, it was a lot of things. Like yeah. people didn't like me because they said I talked too white, or you know I too girly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the 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 other kids they didn't understand. Like because again, back in this time, I was the we were the first black family to live on our street. I, oh, okay. I was the only black student in my class for several years. Um, we lived, you know, in a predominantly uh, white uh, Caucasian area. Um, so yeah, it was just it was just really crazy. Um, and looking back at it um, is one of the reasons why I started over the top living because there's a lot of people that have gone through that that have taken their own lives, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, picked up habits that are unsafe um, and things of that nature. And so Mm -hmm. I just don't want, I want to do my part to prevent that from happening as much as possible because it really, it really could have gone the other way for me because it wasn't just that I was getting it from outside. I was getting it from within my family as well. Literally forces you to a place like okay well i've got to make this happen on my own mm-hmm. so that level of independence that kind of grew from that is what allowed me to finally branch out and and do what i'm doing yeah that's amazing man kids are kids can be cruel dude 
Yeah. Kids can be, especially when you're not, when you're not getting that love from the family either. I mean, that's, uh, it's like, where do you get a break? (laughs) Where is your piece? You know? And you know, the Um, thing is too, what I've recently realized is that the, the, the the various things that happened with me and my family mm -hmm. wasn't coming from a place of malice. It wasn't, you know, a place that for, I'll, I'll go back and say for my immediate family. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't coming from that. It really was coming from a place of fear. It was coming from a place of naivety. It was coming from a place of ignorance. It was coming from a place of what I see on the news is real life. And it's going to be your, that's what's going to happen to you. And so for a long time, I held resentment against my parents. Um, because, uh, well, I mean, specifically kind of with my mom, because she, now is my greatest supporter, but she was literally scared for me. You know, it wasn't that she wanted anything bad to happen, but when all you see and hear are bad things happening to a group Mm -hmm. and then someone that you love and care about says, oh, by the way, I'm a member of that group of people. It's almost like you go into defensive mode. You go into like mama bear. And unfortunately, you know, with our relationship, it caused us to be estranged for a while. but you know now we both have done the work and she's my biggest champion but it was it was touch and go there for a while because i looked to her to be like my source of happy joy all these positive things and mm-hmm. I experienced that from her after literally just trying to allow her to know and love the real me was very difficult i think it's one of those things it's like ignorance leads to fear fear leads to like fight or flight right and but that's that's where a lot of the um friction in the world comes from i think it's it's ignorance yeah right like i mean tell you what man growing up you know i grew up in this this small town in michigan right uh probably 90 percent white people um and and a lot of them don't a lot of those people they live there for generations they don't leave that little area right it's fine it's a good life for them you know they they have all the things they need friends family food all that stuff right but when you're not exposed to the various things that life in the world has to offer then you don't you don't understand it and you don't get you know you don't get to humanize you know people or or understand you know cultures or anything else like that yeah then as far as you know it's whatever is being propagated to you from the news right or right, whatever sure. other source that you hear it from and you know if you don't take time to like get to know people or experience things that you know are not things that you've always known or that you're used to you don't grow right, right? i think i think that's kind of one of the big things here is by kind of i guess educating people um but also like you know getting to know people that made that that certain listeners may you know may not otherwise be exposed to yeah um, and i think that's huge you yeah. know, because it's it's and it, it was kind of like my whole situation like when i came to las vegas mm-hmm. i came from chicago which is a huge city um but the way that our kind of our family construct was it was like we did everything together and mm-hmm. with my extended family so my grandmother was a pastor so we all my whole family we all went to that church and so i was very 
much sheltered. That's part of the reason why when I came to Vegas, I was wilding out. <laughs> right. Time, like I could do what I wanted, when I wanted. I didn't have to answer to anyone. So if I wanted to go out in this, you know, go out with a wig on or go out uh, with how, I mean, whatever it is, uh, I was able to do that. But it really prompted me to, to get to know a wide variety of people. I learned tons of lessons, you know, good and bad. And I think that you hit the nail right on the head. You know, when we're not exposed to certain things, um, it, it's scary. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I, like, I just, I, I go back to this thought, like when I, you know, I lived in China for almost four years. And when I, the first time I came back from Beijing, visited my family in Michigan, I ran into this lady that uh, um, I grew up with. Um, she she was the guitarist at my church or something like that, so I knew her pretty well. Um, she I bumped into her at like this local store, and uh, she's like, "Oh, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh, you know, I'm just I'm living in China, just doing my thing." And she's like, oh, "China, China, Brian, what are you doing there? I'm so scared for you. It's communist. Blah 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 blah. Right. All this stuff. Are you safe? Are you safe? Are you safe?" And I'm like. Yeah, it's actually, you know, I feel just as safe there, if not safer than in America. And they're warm and welcoming. And, you know, there's, I'm having a great time over there. And she's like, oh my, I can't even believe it, Brian. I'm scared for you. And like, but that's the thing because, you know, China's, I mean, that's an example where it's the opposite side of the world. Right. You know, China's always in the news, right? As as the existential threat to American domination, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, when all you hear is this doom and gloom or like naysaying sort of things, then, you know, that's the picture that you have painted in your mind about someone or something or whatever, right? Someplace. Um, but until you actually expose yourself, you're never going to really know. No, you, you never know. know. Mm-hmm. Tell me. So you said think you started kind of, kind of started coming into your own and like in 2019, um, how did the, how did that start? Something about a powerhouse academy? So is that what that was? So it actually, you know, and I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, it actually started a little bit prior to the powerhouse. Okay. Um, I was involved in multi-level marketing and on, on top of everything else I've got going on. And one of the foundations of the organization that I worked with was personal development and growth. Mm. So in addition to our sales and all of that, we would get up in the morning and be uh, book clubs at five in the morning. Um, we would, you know, we promoted healthy lifestyle. We promoted reading and writing and all of that. And that situation really put me in the room with like-minded individuals. Um, from there is how I met Chandra Brooks, who is the founder of the Powerhouse Academy, because she was actually invited as a speaker to the group that I was working with. <clears throat> and, you know, while we we're talking and, you know, I was doing some research on her and about this academy, it, it was specifically geared towards women. And so I didn't even think like that, you know, it was something that I could even consider. But then I began to look at Chandra's roster and I began to see the list of politicians, authors, podcast hosts, um, just these these powerful women in in and high ranking positions, they have access to all these different tables. I'm like, I need that. And mm-hmm. so I reached out to her and I'm like, I, whatever it is that you're giving these women in powerhouse, I need that. And 
Well, the Powerhouse Academy is a leadership um, and development and business coaching, mentorship, like it's all of that kind of wrapped into one. And it's a six week program, eight weeks, eight week program. Um, actually, we actually went a little bit longer, but it, if it wasn't for the powerhouse, I would have never kind of honed in on exactly what my vision was because you can be good at a whole bunch of things, but you can't do a whole bunch of things at one time. Hmm. So what the powerhouse taught me was, okay, what are you passionate about and what are you good at? And Mm -hmm. can we put those two things together in a package that will allow you to touch lives, allow you to make an impact, but I mean, also, you know, allow me to make money. And so Mm -hmm. um, that really is like, that's what took it over the edge. Um, but kind of my, I was kind of already getting in that, that groove and the powerhouse just literally it, it, um, it truly changed my life. Um, because I went from the mentality of always being an employee to now being an employer. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I shifted my mentality to, you know, my limitless potential. Um, I shifted my mentality from, always being okay being mediocre to pushing that to become my very best what so just kind of curious about power like what is the powerhouse i mean you said it's like an eight-week course but like, are there are there things in there like i mean because it sounds like there was a major transformation that happened during that period yeah of course going back to that thought on process was it the process was it like what what it, was that thing it was the process, but it was mm-hmm. that having a coach that held me accountable. For example, if, you know, so we would have group calls every week, you know, we would have different subject matter every week. We'd have group calls, individual calls, and she would give us homework. And so throughout the week, now literally to this day, she still watches everything I do. If I, if I post something on Facebook, she's like, oh, you need to change the words, you know, to, to, to do this or, mm-hmm. um, but it was really, having access to the resources that's number one and that's why Mm -hmm. i always advocate you know having a coach because she has already been there and so she already had a multitude of resources that i now have access to Mm -hmm. she kept me accountable so if i said that i was going to reach out to xyz corporation you know for a speaking engagement or if i was you know whatever it is that we had planned she was on my ass about it And so it basically was a catch and switch in my mentality from inactivity to activity. From that, so like from those lessons and the shifting in the mind and the accountability um, and the action, how have you taken that and kind of uh, ran with it? Well, um, I have launched my speaking tour, um, which... I've always considered myself a good speaker and I always considered myself a wordsmith and someone that it was able to articulate. Um, but it wasn't until I owned my whole story. And that was one of the things that Chandra pulled out of me because I was nervous to talk about my family, to talk about my mom. You know, one of my speaking topics is you won't live to see 30 words from your mother, you know? So and be very transparent and vulnerable, um, I, I wasn't ready for that. But when it was put into the perspective of Norman, there are people who need you and don't even know it yet. There are people who are waiting for the services that you're going to provide. Um, it shifted my mindset to being a little selfless. 
And so I had to have a conversation with my family and say, this is what my new, my venture is. Um, and just so that, you know, these things are going, you know, are going to come out, but it, it, it was, it was, a, a kind of a package of the accountability, the resources, um, and also the, the other women that were in my cohort, you know, uh, we offered a tons of support for, for each other. And, um, that's really what catapulted me into wanting to speak. And then from there, she pushed me, okay, reach out to these people, reach out to these people. And so uh, speaking engagement started coming in, things started changing, things started shifting. And, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's literally how it happened. And it, and it happened very fast. Wow. That's awesome. So um, what are, what are some of the things that you're speaking? So you talked about, you won't live until 30. Yeah. So that's one of my speaking topics. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically that was, I mean, it just explores my family dynamic. You know, Mm -hmm. um, my mother was a single mom um, for majority of our upbringing and my younger sister is gay as well. And it's just Mm -hmm. two of us. Mind you, we didn't come out till much later um, but that was challenging because I would have to imagine as a mother, she would have seen something or, or been able to pick up on something. And so, um, when I came out, um, she didn't think I would live to see 30 and it wasn't that she wanted me to die or, you know, anything like that, but in her circle, you know, the people that came out and lived an openly gay lifestyle, they were involved in things and, and, uh, you know, drugs and, you know, extremely promiscuous. And, you know, obviously back then, you know, AIDS was, uh, you know, um, very, uh, it was in the spotlight, you know, yeah. it, was, it was very new, it was newer. Um, and so in her mind, she was just like, well, if you are going to live this way, there's no way that you're going, you're going to live past 30. Um, and so I talk about that and talk about how, our relationship has completely transformed into the beautiful mother-son relationship that we have today. My second speaking co- uh, topic is be you boo, and it's living unapologetically in a shame and unashamed. And it's just exploring coming into your own self, um, accepting yourself, learning to encourage yourself. You know, I feel like as human beings, we get so caught up in this outside validation mm-hmm. that we don't realize that everything that we need is already inside of us. So we talk about that and we talk about um, some of the over the top living hacks um, that I've kind of created, which will be, you know, coming out in in my book that will be released later this year. Um, But we talk about some over the top living hacks that you can just catch that that thought and switch it to something, you know, more productive or positive. Uh, My third speaking topic is double trouble, my black experience. And so that explores my journey as a black man who's gay. Um, And I kind of talk about the, the the unique challenges and how internal and external influences ultimately brought me to where I am. uh, Mm. And it talks about not just my professional development, but my personal development as well. Hmm. So, I mean, it sounds to me like you definitely put the work in, Um, you know, that's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of deep self-reflection, you know, working through certain kinks, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, getting to that point, man, that's, that's great, dude. Just, I mean, you sound like a very, very whole, a whole person right now. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> For the um, first time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great, man. I'm so, so proud of you, man. Um, what about, um, so I'm also curious, cause again, going back to that kind of 
the, the, the black gay dynamic as well as with your with the religious family um you know what did it take if i talk about your mom for a second like what did it take for her like how did she come to terms or come to grips with everything and and ultimately uh accept you and your sister so it's funny you ask that because what i'm getting ready to share with you i just found out last week when i came out my sister saw how the family reacted and at that time that i was coming out she was going through the same things but i found out she just shared this with me last week that she was terrified to come out after seeing what i had gone through mm-hmm. um and you know essentially what happened is my mom basically said i can't deal with this you are i'm giving you back to god essentially and we didn't speak for quite some time now I don't remember how long it was that we didn't speak. To me, I thought it was like eight or six months. My sister said it was over a year. Um, mm. He was still living in Illinois at the time. And she shared with me that my mom's husband and my sister were one year begging and pleading my mom to call me for my birthday. Wow. Um, and, and she just couldn't uh, or wouldn't. Um, but it really took knowing what I know now, it really took my sister and my stepdad to really kind of step in and, and, and say, this is still your son. And so we started talking again. Um, I want to say we started talking via email at first. Um, And then, you know, she started to come and visit. I think that what it was is when she saw that I am, as you said, a whole person, I wasn't living in a bunch of lack. You know, I'm still the same Norman from before. And as she began to interact and insert herself more into my life, she's like, okay, this is, these are my kids. And it was that initial shock. And I think that in, in some ways, now that I'm you know, speaking of it, she was trying to protect her heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, but once she came and started involving herself in my life, um, involving herself more in my sister's life at the time, um, I think that's when it became easier for her. And it was a no brainer at that point because she sees, Oh wow. I raised great kids. It was, it was definitely a process. Okay. It was, uh, a process that took years. But part of the success of this uh, relationship is that I had to set boundaries on what I was willing to accept, what I was willing to hear, what I was willing to to see, all of that. And so we had, you know, we set these boundaries and now we interact as mother, son, but as adults. And so it's, it's, a, it's a completely different dynamic now. And I'm really blessed that I'm really blessed to have the support of both my parents, but I'm really, really proud of where me and my mom are today because again, it was touch and go. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. You know, cause I, I think about like, you know, every kid, every, sorry, every parent wants what's best for their kid. Um, and, but at the same time, the reality of it is, you know, as a parent, it's easy to get inside of this bubble. You know, you're raising a kid for 
you know, 18 years or whatever the case may be. And this has always been your little boy and all that stuff. And then life starts happening, right? Reality starts happening. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of times, um, you know, parents don't really know how to respond to that. You know, for example, um, you know, like I've, like I said, I've had PTSD for almost 20 years. Um, I was actually, I was drugged and raped by a man in the military. Right. And so that, that's fucked me up for a long time. Um, there's been, and my parents have known about it since early on and they've been, you know, trying to be loving and all this stuff. Um, but I remember probably it must've been like five years ago. I think I was taking a road trip with my dad and, uh, he said, he was Brian, why don't you just get over it? <laughs> why don't you just let it go? Right. And it's, you know, like he just doesn't understand like what's going on inside of my head with with experiences that i had and you know everyone's different some people can let things go other you know some people experience a traumatic event and develop ptsd like that's how it works you know whether they want to try to discount you or push you away or whatever the case may be you know they're always they 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 love you and they care for you and they want what's best for you yeah right? and also times if they're if they're discounting it or whatever they're just trying to like in their own way, I think, make it right. <laughs> Not that it's well, yeah, helpful well, necessarily, but... It's a sense yeah. of control that, that they yeah. have. And it's mm-hmm. like you're dealing with, you know, your parents, they want to mm-hmm. protect us. They want to keep us safe. They don't ever want to believe that anything bad that can happen to us. Mm-hmm. And when something does that is completely outside of their control, what I have found is it sends them haywire. There's something in the brain that just does not allow them to ex- like to accept the fact that I don't have control over this situation. This is something that happened is that my child is going through and I've got to give them the space and time to move through it. Yep. I think that that's the biggest thing that I've learned, at least from my parents, um, is that it, it, it all it all came from a very loving place. But when you're dealing with your kids or anyone you love, sometimes that loving place can manifest itself as something completely different. <laughs> In so many ways, too. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's, you know, again, whether it's, whether it's being, you know, whether it's, whether it's having a certain orientation or having, you know, maybe you have certain beliefs about religion. Maybe you joined right. a church and your parents weren't, or maybe you left something or what, you know. Or, or also, you know, there's countless other things that can kind of send them that way. You know, like, oh, you know, I was raised Catholic. Or, oh, you didn't marry a good Catholic girl or <laughs> whatever. Or, or whatever, right? Um, you know, it's fucking, it's just so stupid. It's so stupid, you know, but it's, but you're right. It sends them haywire. And it's, I, I think it's a control thing too. Um it's probably probably going to stay that way for the rest of time because you know everyone says they're going to do things differently, but you know you get wrapped up in that bubble and you know it's that nurturing instincts, I think, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's great that uh, great to hear that she was able to work through it, you know, and, yeah. and finally accept you for that, man. And it's and not only that, but like to the max, right? Like, like it's crazy. Cheerleader, right? Like it's crazy. And you know what? And I have to, you know, because I know my dad is going to listen to this and mm-hmm. I have to give him credit also because I asked my dad on Saturday. I knew we were preparing for this and I have some other things that I'm preparing for. And I said, Dad, how did you react when I came out? 
And he said, I'm still waiting. And so I didn't realize that I never officially came out to my dad. He accepted me and we rolled with it. Now, mind you, when I lived, when I first moved to Vegas and I was working with you at Metro, I was with him. Oh, okay. So I, in my mind, I thought that I would have had to have told him. Yeah. Um, But no, he said, I never came out. He said, I'm still waiting. Hmm. So I just have to give him that 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 credit and not to discount you know from either yeah. parents they're 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 both amazing but I, I i was really i was really um proud at that moment and i'm proud of both of my parents because i'm proud that my dad just kind of rolled with it but yep. I'm also super proud that my mom worked through her own bullshit and mm-hmm. her own stuff and her own whatever was in her mind or from society to get to where we are today. Shout out to mom and dad. Is that three? What? Is that, is that Norman three? Well, yeah, that's Norman the third. <laughs> shout out, shout out to big three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about like some of these speaking engagement stuff, um, that kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, is this all related to over the top living? Like what is, what is over the top living? Like how did you get to that point and, you know, decide to create, um, whatever, you know, what this is. So over the top living, the way that that came about, I've actually had this business name for years. Um, probably since 2012. Um, just because my mom is very much like prepare, have your documents in order. And I always knew that I was over the top, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, shit, huh? <laughs> but I, I decided to take it from a negative and turn it into a positive. A lot of people were saying, oh, you know, Norman is over the top. And it was in a bad way or a negative connotation. And I'm like, you're right. I am over the top. And so basically, um, the over the top, it's, it's multifaceted. So um, it's my personal brand as well as my signature mentorship program. So my speaking and basically everything I'm doing right now is some way tied to over the top living. So um, right now, I've recently, two weeks ago, I was sworn in um, as a member of the governing board of the Southern Nevada Health Department over their uh, community center. Nice. And huge. Yeah, is yeah, huge. That's huge, man. That's also an extension of over the top living. Um, my speaking engagements are uh, an extension of over the top living, um, and you know, my coaching and mentorship program is going is is a part of um, of that as well. Right on, man. Um, and so, how do you how do you live over the top? Like that's, I mean, I know you, Norman, and I know you've been, you know, you've been over the top. Uh, extra as far as long as I've known you. Yeah. Like how, like, how do you, how does one go about living over the top? Like it's lay it on me. It's, it's two things for me, which are multi-layered, but it's a catch and switch attitude. So what I mean by that is I catch any negative thought or anything and I switch Mm -hmm. something that's productive. Um, I switch, I catch my inactivity and switch it for activity. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is you do the work. Okay. 
And then once you've done the work, you live unapologetically and unashamed, period. That's how you live over the top. Your version of living over the top may not be as loud and in your face as mine. You know, mm -hmm. a client that I'm working with, who she is, uh, she's definitely over the top, but in her own way. And over the top for her was changing her mindset so that she can start her own business and do mm -hmm. for herself. So it really is what you make of it, but it is catching and switching those negative, non, uh, non-productive thoughts and behaviors for something positive and productive. It is changing the inaction for action, doing the work, and then it's just simply living in purpose, on purpose. I love that. It is very intentional mm -hmm. and it's living unapologetic and unashamed. Like you mentioned earlier, when we stop caring about what other people think, if I was, if I still cared about what people thought, I wouldn't even be able to be sitting here doing this podcast with you. Mm -hmm. Like, well, oh my God, you know, who am I? I'm just, you know, I'm Norman. Like, who wants to hear from me? You know, yeah. but I had to throw that out the window and really just live my truth in purpose and on purpose. Oh, yeah. I love that. Living in purpose on purpose. Like, that's, uh, I love that. That's a great uh, guidepost. Um, hmm, what else do you want to talk about? Let's go. So you mentioned that you were on the governing board of the Southern Nevada Community Health. Like, how did this happen, dude? Like this, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, because that's a big deal. You're still young, right? You seem awfully young to be a, a board member of something so big. Uh, yeah, from your lips to God's ears. I mean, how did this happen, dude? Tell me about this. So, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to the powerhouse because it. Mm -hmm. It, uh, it has a lot to do with a lot of the things that I'm doing right now. So essentially, um, I was asked to be on the board. And because of, you know, I've been in Vegas for since 2007. Um, I, you know, previously back in the day, I was on the Las Vegas Pride board and, you know, I was an entertainer. And so I, I, mm -hmm. I know the community here very, very well. Mm -hmm. I kept saying, no, oh, I'll think about it or, you know, whatever. And then the, the individual that, that had been, I don't want to say pursuing me, but had been encouraging me to join, uh, um, he literally looked at me and said, this is your community. Do you care about it or not? Wow. And what was crazy about that, Brian, <laughs> is when I went to get sworn in, there was nobody that looked like me on the board. Hmm. Um, there were no, wait, hold on, let me, let me take that back. There were no black gay men. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a couple gay guys. Um, and I say gay guys, I mean, these are high ranking, you know, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the mayor pro tem for North Las Vegas is on my board and, and he's not gay, but I'm just saying there's, these are, are, are huge heavy hitters. Mm -hmm. I didn't see anyone that looked like me. I didn't see uh, the young professional. I didn't see, you know, the young gay person. I didn't mm -hmm. see a black gay person. And so in that moment, I knew that I had a responsibility um, to be on that board. 
I knew it right then. And so, you know, it was, again, allowing myself the permission to be myself in this room and accept the fact that I belonged there. That's an interesting situation too, right? Like um, when when you start, well, first of all, I'd say representation matters. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I mean, whether it's, whether it's like on screen or whatever, but like, um, but you know, it also matters in the local community, right? Cause that's, that's how you, that's how you tailor policies or whatever towards everybody, you know, being inclusive like that it starts there. But also like when you're in the right spot, right? Like when you're, when you know, it's like when you know you're in the right spot, things just, they work. Right. Like, like I, um, so, so in addition to this, you know, I'm, I'm developing some other, um, projects, film and TV and stuff like that. And over the last couple of years, I've been introduced to a lot of, um, award-winning producers. Um, I, I, you know, I did an event with some, uh, professional athletes and, you know, and the, the amazing thing to me is like that, like that, that stuff all started happening once I figured out what my, path was uh, my purpose um and everything started coming together and you know i meet these people and we just hit it off man like we've you know whether it's these producers or these celebrities or these professional athletes we just hit it off man and like and it's good you know it's it's the creative juices flowing it's respecting each other you know it's having a good time um but it's just a fit yeah you know and I mean, I even think like back to when, you know, when we worked at Metro, shout out to Metro PCS. Right. Um, <laughs> shout out to Metro. Um, but when we were working there, you know, like I struggled, man. Like, I, I mean, I, I could do the work. I got along with a couple of people, but I fucking hated it, uh-huh. you know, and, and it was, and I was a cog in the machine and, and that's how it was most of the, most of the way through my corporate career before I decided to go and uh, never work for anybody again. <laughs> You know, um, but it was that point, right? Like, you know, once I, I did the work, I, I get, you know, I changed my mindset on a lot of things, um, and, you know, figured out what my thing was. And that's, again, everything starts falling into place. And then you, then you realize you, you're standing around maybe a, an event or something and you're looking around and you're like, I'm surrounded by a bunch of high profile, powerful people. And guess what? They're treating me as one of them. Right, because you are. <laughs> and that's, the, and that's the, the, the crazy thing about it. And you're like, really? Like, yeah. me? Hold on a second. It's just me? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy that the rooms that I'm in now, just by aligning myself with my purpose, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and before I had even spoke, they booked me for the graduation in May. It's just, oh, sweet. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. So I'll be the keynote speaker at the Lavender graduation May 1st. Um, it's just the, the rooms that I'm in and the tables that I'm at now um, are really positioning me to do some huge good. You know, not just for the yeah. community. I mean, as that's my focus, but I mean, for everybody. Oh, big respect to that, dude. And I mean, I, I'm not sure if you know, but like, so again, going back to my PTSD stuff, like I'm also in the process of developing, writing a book, I'm developing a show um, around my experiences up with that. 
you know, I've done a lot of work on myself. I've worked through a lot of it. I still live with it. I've learned to manage it. Um, yeah. But the problem with like PTSD, for example, is that, you know, so many people have it and nobody ever wants to talk about it. Right. So, so even by just saying, okay, you know what? Hey, I'll come talk about it. I'll write a book about it. You know, I'll, I'll make a show about it or whatever. Um, for me, that's, I'm trying to help those people because like, I mean, let's face it in the military. I mean, there's a, there's a number, number 22, there's 22 military active duty or veterans that kill themselves every single day. And a lot of it has to do with PTSD related stuff. Wow. And uh, yeah. And those are, and those are things like those are internal battles that you're fighting with yourself every day. Right. Uh Um, nobody wants to talk about the event because it's the most horrific day they've ever experienced. Right. Because they don't want to talk about it, no. But their family and other, you know, medical professionals, or whatever, they don't know how to respond, and it's just kind of a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, like a downhill, downward spiral kind of sort of thing, right? It's an opposite of a virtuous cycle. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? No, for it's sure. Just, it's just all bad, and you know, like for me, just even be able to kind of talk about stuff like that. You know, and I've been told by some some people that, you know, doing what I'm doing is going to save lives. Oh, I believe. You know, I mean, <clears throat> that's that's kind of what keeps me going. And But still, I'm just like, wow, like, you know, I've, I've been living with this for damn near 20 years. I could have, I mean, I, I could have done something about this long before that. Um, but I think you have to wait until you become that whole person. Right. Until you, until you work through your stuff. And, you know, if, if you're the type of person that wants to have that type of focus or platform, you've got to wait until the time's right. Oh, you have to, you Mm -hmm. have to. Timing is so crucial because especially doing what, like what you're doing, it's emotional and Mm -hmm. constant because not only are you living with it and managing it, but you're talking about it and you're sharing it consistently. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not in a mental or emotional place to manage that also, it, it's, it, it actually does more harm than good. Right. And, and so like, and that's exactly right. Like I've had other people that have had similar situations in me, like reach out to me that I've never met before. And they're like, Oh, I want to share my story. I want to share my story. I'm like, no, you don't. And I'm like, not, not, no, you don't, but you don't right now. Like, mm-hmm. take some time, process through this stuff, try to get some sort of grip on it, and then you can make the decision if you want to share it or not. You, you can if you want. You don't have to either way. Right. Um, but, you know, um, somebody's got to talk about various situations because that goes, that goes back to the exposure thing, right? If we don't, if we're not exposed to it, we don't know about it, and that which we do not know, we fear, that which we fear we cause harm to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm just over here doing my little part. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that you are because especially learning that figure of the military personnel that take their own lives, that that's huge. And I'm, I'm glad that, that you're here to tell it. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Um, I, th- I think we're at a pretty good spot to wrap it up. I think it feels pretty natural. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? 
Yeah, you know, no, um, I'm just, again, I just want to get across, you know, from everyone that can hear me, you are enough. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you that thing that you've been putting off, that thing that that book that's been in the back of your mind, that song that you've been wanting to write, that business venture, that contact that you've been wanting to reach out. I want you to be intentional with that. I want you to begin to live in purpose and on purpose and then just do you as i say do you boo and live unapologetically and lived unashamed in your truth hell yeah man hell yeah uh anything else you want to plug so definitely all day long i will always plug the powerhouse academy you can go to chandra-brooks.com or you can just youtube powerhouse academy it's all over there um and then also over the top we will have our official launch on uh april 18th here in las vegas i'm really excited about that um our website is currently under construction just so that we can bring some you know fresher uh content just uh you know follow, you can follow me on instagram at the Mr. Liverpool. Um, I'm on Facebook, Over the Top Living. So I just invite any of you that, even if you have any questions, just to feel free to be able to connect with me um, on my speaking engagements, my speaking tour, or on my signature mentorship uh, program. Right on, man. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the time as well. Uh, sure. been, been, been a good one. Good catch up and uh, learned quite a bit, man. I, you know, I'm really, like I said, I'm really proud of uh, you know, the person you've become over the last few years, man. You really come into yourself. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Give it up for my friend, Norman Liverpool, everyone. You've been listening to Half the City with Brian Shinborn, presented by AB Media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, and leave a solid five-star review to ensure these stories get spread far and wide. For more information, as well as to listen to other shows, including Relentless, a survivor's search for passion, purpose, and inner peace, and beyond Relentless, be sure to check out 8bmedia.com. Thank you for listening.